good afternoon, everybody. My name's Adam. I, I run um, half of the um, Thornbridge podcast, along with James. So if anybody was at the talk yesterday with, uh, with Rob, you might have met him already. Uh, so we're going to be recording this live, and this will go out on the internet. So just for behalf of those people who are listening, you want to have a big, big cheer? So um, this is the second Thornbridge um, talk of the weekend. Uh, we've got uh, Dom Driscoll. Hey, Dom. He's the production manager. And Nick Keith, who's a shift brewer. So we'll, probably, we'll have a bit of a chat to these guys, get to find out about them a little bit more, um, talk about Thornbridge, and then um, we'll get some questions out to the audience. So should we start with Dom? Hi. How are you doing? Good, thanks. Why don't you just introduce yourself and tell the guys kind of what you do and how you're involved with Thornbridge. Uh, so I'm the production manager, which means I'm the second brewer. So there's a head brewer, uh, and then there's a, the guy who does all the, all the crappy jobs that the head brewer doesn't want to do. Like, so that's basically what I do. So I look after the, the brewers, um, do a lot of boring paperwork and that sort of thing, and uh, just get involved with the beers. I've been with Thornbridge for nine years, so uh, Rob and I have worked together for nine years, and uh, I don't ever see myself leaving, quite frankly. So <laughs> well, That's good. Um, do you want to have a quick, uh, quick word to Nick? Hi, Nick. Hi. Uh, so do you want to introduce yourself and give us a little bit of explanation about what you do at Thornbridge? Uh, so um, Dom described himself as the second brewer at Thornbridge, which probably makes me the fifth, maybe. Um, I think he said that he does all the crappy jobs that Rob doesn't want to do. So what I specialize in is doing the crappy jobs that Dom doesn't want to do. Um, but yeah, this is I've been at Thornbridge for just over a year now. Um, it's my fifth year of being a professional brewer. Um, loving it so much so much more things to play with at Thornbridge than I've experienced before so, so where were you previous to Thornbridge then where did you cut your uh, I was at a small microbrewery called uh, Magpie Brewery uh, in Nottingham um, and I've oh yes some Magpie fans Magpie. <laughs> I can't promo them too much this weekend because they're not here it's about Thornbridge beer is the best guys so as you know, what, what kind of one of the new ones, what kind of, what drags you to Thornbridge? What, what's the real pull in, in terms of Thornbridge as a brewery to you come want to work for them? Um, the, the main reason I came is because uh, Thornbridge is really invests in quality control and brewing, which I guess kind of sounds a bit boring. But for me, as a professional, I can come and, and learn and improve and develop. And, and that's why I wanted to work for Thornbridge. Their reputation is incredible. So there's a lot to learn there. So you've probably come in at a time when you moved over from well, when the canning all came into, into play as well. So you've probably you've come in at a big time for Thornbridge. That's what you've seen, that sort of new development as well. Yeah, I think uh, the canning line went in in February this year. I started August last year. So the whole office has been kicked out and a new canning line has been put in since I started. And we've expanded uh, brewing capacity as well. We've got six new uh, fermenting tanks in since I started. Um, we're brewing... 18 to 20 times a week as well, which is more more than when I started. So down at the big brewery, probably Dom, you might know this a bit more. In layman's terms, how many pints of beer are you making down at Riverside a uh, week? We make 200 hectolitres a day. Um, what's that in pints? <laughs> it's a lot of beer anyway. I, th I think we I worked out... I thought more people than me had have asked you that question, converting hectolitres into pints. What were they, sir? Sorry, that's uh, 100 litres. 100 litres. Oh, so it's about we make 20,000 litres a day, so about 38,000 pints a day. Uh, we worked out that it would take us about 10 years to drink ourselves out of the brewery <laughs> if we were locked in. So, 35,000 pints a week. 35,000 pints a week. There you go. 
So Dom was on our podcast last month, and he's been on before. He's a bit of a veteran now. Um, and we went up to the Thormich Hall. Is anybody f- familiar with Thormich Hall? Yes, no, hands up. Yeah, so Dom might be able to tell us a little bit about the history of Thornbridge because it's you know they've got the big massive brewery down there and very modern modern techniques, but uh, it's not always been there and it's still it's still used today, isn't it? Yeah, we've got it was been there 2004. It was installed 2005. We started brewing there with Martin Dickey and Stefano. Uh, Stefano's off making uh, Molson Coors, making Carlin, <laughs> and Martin went and set up a small brewery called Brewdog. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, uh, they made a beer called Jaipur, uh, 2005. It kind of took off a little bit, uh, and so they bought a bigger brewery. But we still run the whole brewery five times a week, and we give the 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 younger, more so inexperienced guys a chance to go up there and brew. Uh, so they're always got the hands in the malt and the hops. And uh, we count. It's not the experimental brewery; it's, it's part of the productions. We we run every beer through the laboratory and make sure it's within spec. So, Brilliant. so how how important is cask beer still to Thornbridge? You know. Um, obviously, that's kind of where it started. That's kind of what you're still making really, really high-quality cask beers. Obviously, the world of craft beer has kind of taken over in different ways, keg beer and stuff. How important is cask beer to, to Thornbridge still? It's hugely important. We still do about 30%, I'd say 30 40%. We could, we could actually do more if we wanted to of uh, cask beer in total of the whole production. Because um, you've got big cask beer drinking places like Nottingham, Manchester... Uh, Leeds, Sheffield, obviously. Um, you know, we're still in the cask heartlands up here, so we can export to foreign climes the keg beer, such as like London and uh, Scotland, where they don't really like cask beer. Uh, uh, but around here, you know, you know, Thornbridge made its reputation on cask beer, and uh, I think we'll always keep making it. So, so, so Nick, cask versus keg. So. I, I found it interesting in the previous point that you uh, compared cask to craft. Well, you know, and that's, um, not mutually exclusive, are they? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I think we've got avenues to sell cask beer and we could do more, but um, we hold it true in our values that we want to produce good cask beer um, because they're just different products. Um, personally, I would drink bottled beer because it comes out of the brewery exactly how the brewer wants it and I don't have to rely on a landlord. There's plenty of good ones out there, but um, I, I wouldn't choose between cask and keg. I'm going to abstain from answering your question. <laughs> Is so that allowed? Should we put it to a show of hands then? So let's, <laughs> let's say, let's, let's, put, let's put Jaipur, shall we? Cask versus keg Jaipur. Hands up for cask. So, ooh, five, probably about, what's it, about 20% maybe? So I'm going to assume the rest of you are keg or I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Very good. Um, I'm keg. You're keg. I think there's a time and a place for both. I think, I think that's a good thing about Thornbridge beers. I think some of the beers that are in that kind of pale ale sort of you know, IPA style, a lot of them do work really well on both, both sides of the fence, depending on kind of the weather maybe. Or and, uh, so. and this is an interesting point in the whole cask versus keg debate. We, it's, it's fun to put the same beer in cask and keg and drink them side by side and notice what the differences are. But... Um, in reality, some styles just suit one better than the other. Um, something like a best bitter would lose a ton of aroma if you serve it so cold, but in a cask, it could be the most appropriate thing. It could be delicious. It is delicious. So we're going to start getting some beers around now. What's so, um, what have we got? Is this the Ilio? Elio. So I think Dom's going to tell us a little bit more about this beer if he, if he, if he can. Uh, there's just a lady who's got a question. Oh, you've got a question already. To, uh, Sorry. 
I didn't know what the difference was. The difference between cask beer and keg beer. Do you want to take that, Dom? Yeah, no problem. Uh, so the keg is, comes under brewery conditioned beer, so we finish the conditioning, the maturation, maturation process within the brewery. Um, so we'll primary fermentation, then a maturation period, and then we'll get it, we'll maybe send it through the centrifuge, we'll get it in specification with CO2 and, and, and gases, and then, and then package it. Whereas the cask beer, it, it sort of, it's finished off within a pub cellar. And so it's the, the stuff that you see on hand pumps, that sort of the real ales, if you will. So, sorry, but we should have uh, made that clear. <laughs> so. Sorry, I kind of understood that the cask and keg was different in terms of the way it was delivered at tap, but I didn't realise it was different at the way it's delivered to yeah, so establishment. The, there's yeast and there's some residual sugar within a cask, and it undergoes, uh, and it's carrying on a fermentation. They call it the secondary fermentation. Uh, and in that time, the yeast is swallowing... Uh, nasty compounds that make the beer don't taste very nice and acetaldehyde and diacetyl and it's it just needs a little bit of time and then also the gases balance out and so there's a certain level of carbon dioxide that you you can sort of taste when you when you drink a cask beer when it's on good form or if you're in london it tends to be very flat because all the beer is very warm down there so and when you deliver you're at the the yeah your your hands are you're in the lap of the gods you are we're, the we're in the we're in the hands of the, the, the pub, public uh, trade, so... Yeah, yeah, uh, and, and, but, but presumably you give guidance on, on when and when... Yeah, it's yeah salmonship is a skill, it. and uh, uh, our beer's quite lively. We use a special British yeast, um, it's very fruity, um, and it can be quite lively. We like quite a high, sort of, we like a good secondary fermentation. It can be annoying for landlords and pub managers because it takes quite a long time to come into condition. Um, but we feel that we get a better beer that way. Nick, do you want to... Just, just to add to the previous discussion, so keg beer came more to prominence because it's easier for landlords to serve. You still have to pay attention to dispense, um, but theoretically, a tech guy or engineer could come in and set up the lines and the product could be served as the brewery wants it. Cask beer takes a lot more care to deliver it well. But in terms of drinking, one is dispensed naturally by gravity, tends to be less fizzy, tends to be served a bit warmer, uh, and there's live yeast present. So those are the sort of fundamental differences when you're actually buying a pint. Um, and there's, there's flavor nuances there. If both were served perfectly and ideally, there would still be slight differences in, in flavor. So, it's good. so we've, got, we've all got a sample of Elio. Is it Elio? Elio? Do we know where the name comes from? Uh, the name actually comes from the marketing department. <laughs> so we've got no idea. I think it's um, Spanish or Italian, but James and his export market dictates most of the names. So, yeah, that's the reason behind it. So what are we getting from this beer then, guys? What, we, what should they be... What sort of flavour profile should... Have you not brewed this beer before? I've brewed it, but I've not got one <laughs> to drink. You can taste mine if you want. Oh, that's a nice beer. Uh, so we wanted to create a summer ale, so something different from an IPA, from the typical DDH uh, pale and big hoppy mosaic bombs. So we just wanted something nice, uh, low bitterness, very light in malt, a little bit of wheat in there, so it's got some good head retention. Uh, and not try and impress people too much, not throw the entire hop cupboard out there. But it's the classic hops of Crystal, which is a much underused hop. Um, Roosters used to use it a lot back in the 90s and the early 2000s. And it's a very gentle floral hop. And we sort of beefed that up with some Amarillo and some Chinook. Uh, and it's just the kind of beer that... 
say if it wasn't as muddy and it was still as sunny, that it would just be perfect. So almost sort of venturing into a lager sort of territory. Sort of very easy to drink, mildly hoppy, but you still got that ale quality of uh, nice fruity sort of flavours. So. Is this a beer that you can find in bottle and cask or keg or? I think we might have done it in cask. I in know cask. it's in keg and I know we've bottled it. So. It, it was done in cask, but it was brewed as a July seasonal, is that right? Yeah, oh, so yes. it, it will be out there in some places. So is this one of the year of beers that Thornbridge... Thornbridge it was did? year of beer for July, Very I think. Good. Yeah. So what, what's this month's year of beer, our interest? What, what should people be looking out for for this, for this month's special? Can you remember? Uh, so yeah, this month's uh, year of beer special is called Jamestown, and it's a beer that I'm actually really excited for and I've trying to push for for a while. Um, it's a sort of hazy New England style pale. Um, we've done Green Mountain before, which is session strength, but this one is uh, a normal sort of New England strength at like six point six percent. Yeah, good stuff. Good stuff. So, so this oh, we've got a question. So <laughs> the Elio is sort of your sunny day drink. A few that's getting to the end of summer, enjoying yourself more sort of beer. Excellent. So we've got a question from the audience. Um, how strong is this one? Four four point five. Four point five. Four point seven. So that's okay for half past two on an afternoon. I think it actually um is quite an interesting parallel to Jaipur, um, because it's still got the Chinook uh, and the um, sort of classic American hops in. Four point seven. Drinks with less less bitterness and is a lot lighter. So if you want Jaipur but it's five nine is a bit too much for you because it's hot, then this is a great parallel for me. Yeah, it's really nice. I said today looks a little bit brighter. I've only turned up about ooh, quarters, quarter to two today. Pitched to my tent in a puddle. Um, I don't know if everybody's been around for the full weekend. Obviously, we're expecting a better, better day today. Then still smiling. That's all good to see. So the next beer that we've got coming up is it's quite an old beer actually, isn't it? They talk about this one. It's, has it made a bit of a resurgence? Because I think uh, I remember uh, this yeah, about four years ago. It's uh, a real brewer's favourite, this, actually. I think we just kind of brew it for ourselves. Um, but we do keg a little bit of it as well. Uh, and, yeah, it was, we obviously we use a, a proper the yeast, and we, we do it as, as, as well as we possibly can. So so this is a Verso, which is a the vice beer, wheat beer? Yeah, it's a classic vice beer. Um, so we just use a, a mixture of 50% pills and malt, a little bit of cara pills, I think. Uh, and then the rest is uh, wheat. Uh, so very low bitterness, um, and we use a special strain from Bavaria uh, that we grow up in the lab laboratory ourselves. Uh, we, we stress the fermentation, so you sort of half oxygenate it, you put it in at a weird temperature, you underpitch it, and it really gets to you, uh, with the yeast sort of kicking out all those banana estery sort of flavours so in the classic style. Very good. Have you got any questions from the audience? Anybody got any questions for Dom or Nick? Oh, we've got one coming in. I'll see how far this reaches. You might have to meet me halfway. This may be a really silly question, but when you buy bottled beer, is that from cask or keg? It's, uh, it comes under brewery conditioned beer, so uh, if, it, if it comes out of a bottle, it's similar to what you would get in a keg. Okay. Uh, so basically the, the night before, George will uh, send me an email tell me whether he wants it in keg or bottle. So... <laughs> It's usually the night. <laughs> Any other questions? Can I just add to that, that last question? Um, so the, the main significant difference between cask versus 
most other ways of packaging beer is the presence of live yeast. So I, I won't say all the time because there is an exception. You can buy bottle-conditioned beer where the brewer puts live yeast in, but the, the majority of bottle-can uh, beer you drink is the same as keg, where we've finished it in the brewery and it's gone out as we want it to. With, with cask beer or, or bottle-conditioned beer, then you've got live yeast in there, you've got fermentation, there is more development still happening in the product. I've got a question for you guys. What do you see as the next trend in beer? And kind of, is there anything you're kind of working on behind the scenes that you can maybe let the people know about? Oh, the secrets are out now, oh, isn't no. it? Go on, Tom. Oh, go on. Is it? <laughs> uh, we're really now. happy with the Heartland that we made recently. Um, so that was uh, taking the idea of a, a Keller beer from Germany and applying it to sort of English ingredients. So we use all English malt, lots of English wheat, so we had a sort of a nice haze to it. Uh, made it 5%, which is a good punchy sort of strength. Uh, about 40 IBU, so it's quite a balance, but with a little bitterness. And then we used these English hops from Hukins down in Kent, and they were just absolutely fantastic. Uh, and big English uh, yeast, lots of fruity flavours. And uh, we really feel like celebrating, not in a weird Brexity sort of way, but in... Uh, <laughs> And a celebrating great ingredients that we've got kind of way. So, do you see, actually talking about Brexit? Do you see any thing, any problems coming up? You know, with um, post Brexit, maybe even to do ingredients or. Um, we, we we did have a problem with. Um, is that for another day? <laughs> the suppliers in the industry have been together and have been talking a lot about this. And we, the people who sort of supply the brewery sundries, they've they've got big backups now. They've got lots in storage, uh, so we're not too Good worried. To hear. So we're not going to be losing any uh, any uh, core beers like Jaipur? Or uh, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> we're, we're pretty disgusting exchange rate at the moment for those American hops, but it's not going to stop us making good beer. That's great to hear. Uh, Nick? So for those of you that follow Dom on Twitter, at Thornbridge Dom, you'll know that he's a semi-professional farmer with an allotment. So he's assured us that any production issues with barley, wheat or hops, that he'll address that himself. I was thinking of questions for Dom as I went on my way here, knowing that you're a keen gardener, loves, loves to, loves to, is there anything you thought you'd like to merge those two uh, hobbies? Is there anything you're thinking of? Is there anything from my garden that I could uh, in, in, involve with? No. No. Good, that's cool. No. That's a good answer because no one wants any like strawberry. I'm, I'm a traditionalist and I like beer with malton hops and barley and, and yeast. No but tomato beer on the on No, the I can't see them. Keep them. Keep them on separate. Uh, <laughs> It's just something that helps me keep me sane. So, <laughs> so uh, back to my question, uh, just in terms of trends, is it, see, what do you see is on the horizon for the, the next year, maybe? What's going to be the new fashionable beer after a double dry-hopped New England style? What's, what's next, I, I you think, think? I think that'll continue. Uh, I think what we'll see is a, a mishmash of, of East Coast and, and West Coast IPAs. So I think we'll see bitterness increase again. But I think these a lot of these hop levels are here to stay. I think we're... we're we're going to be seeing these lots of mosaic citra beers for a while because it was actually a lot of them are quite enjoyable. So, yeah. I think that's um, that's reflected in hop growing trends as well. Yeah. Um, in America, the hop growers are taking out a lot of acreage of uh, traditional hops and planting a lot more of those high um, aroma hops like mosaic. Um, Germany's going very much towards producing high alpha hops, um, which tends to be more for the big brewer market. Um, but it really, there is a lot of trend to beers with low bitterness and high hop aroma. And I agree with Dom. I think that's, that's here to stay. That's what a lot of craft beer drinkers want. 
Um, I kind of disagree. I think I don't think bitterness is going to come back. I think people want low bitterness mm. and high flavor beers. Um, but I do want to reiterate the Heartland trend. I think we've we've tried lots of international historical beer styles, not just Thornbridge, but the whole UK industry. And some of them have gone down well. There's other beers that we would like to brew more of, but there isn't necessarily the market there. Um, but people are trying them now. So people have tried uh, kettle sours. They've tried double IPAs. And once everyone's got to know all of these styles, the next question will be, okay, so what can we do more locally and more sustainably? So something like Heartland, where we, we're championing British hops again, I think could be a trend going forward. That sounds interesting. I've, I'm not, I've yet to have that, so I'll keep an eye out for it, yeah. I think it's on the bar. Is it on the bar? Oh, well, yeah. I've not even managed... I've, I've, I'll get I, your pint in a bit. I got that. It comes straight in here. Just, Lovely. Um, any thoughts on the beers? Anyone, any questions about any of the beers? Uh, have you all got a, a taste of Versa enjoying that? Brilliant. I remember uh, I was judging at the European Beer Star in Munich one year, and... I was on a table, and you saw it's got quite intimidating and very German. Uh, everyone's German except for me. Uh, and I had Hans-Peter Drexler on one side, who's the most famous vice beer brewer in the world. It's, it's all he makes. And on the other side, I had Karen from Unertl in the full uh, Deandl, the Bavarian dress, and she doesn't speak any English whatsoever. Uh, and we would, the first round was, of course, it wasn't British Pale Ale, it was vice beer. So I was like, oh, Christ. And uh, so you, you, you immediately sort of... Checking their answers, just you. Know, <laughs> oh, I totally agree with you. Yeah. So, but by the end, you've had sort of ten, ten halves of beer, and uh, you're banging your hands on the table and telling them what for. So, uh, it's a it's a great category of beer, and it's it's truly the taste of the German, the, the Bavarian sunshine. Um, a case of uh, Schneider by the, the the river is quintessentially Munich. I'm right in thinking that Lucas and Zara are both German styles as well. Zara's from the sort of the north. Uh, yeah, from from Cologne, yeah. and uh, Lucas is the the Hellas, the, the light beer of uh, Munich. So, you, so there's you've got quite a few styles in the sort of German. Is it, where does that come from? Is that from does Rob the head brewer? Is he kind of into that? Sort yeah, of Rob, Rob from trained at sort of meantime. Yeah, uh, he spent a long time there and picked up a lot of love for German styles. Uh, spent a lot of time in in Bavaria himself, sort of getting to the the bottom of what makes a good Hellas, what makes a good vice beer. Have we got any lager drinkers out there? The Versa drink I like a lot. Does it smell like bubblegum? And if so, why? <laughs> uh, yes. Um, so Dom touched on this, but I maybe flow over a little bit. So um, a lot of the beers you brew, the yeast is very fundamental to flavor production. Um, but we often glamorize the hops and the malt because the hops give all sorts of uh, herbal and tropical aromas and the malt gives loads of sweetness. Um, but some of, a lot of the fruitiness you get from beer comes from the way you utilize the yeast. And that's probably the crucial difference about this beer. So we deliberately ferment it at a higher temperature, and that um, creates that bubblegum, or maybe banana some of you might get, um, on the nose of this beer. Is everyone getting that kind of smell or taste from it? A bit banana-y sometimes, you get that kind of feel from it? Can, I, can I just touch again on the Bavarian? We'll do the question in a second. A lot of these Germanic styles, the lagers and the wheat beers, um, are some of the trickiest ones for us to actually market. The craft beer industry is heavily hop forward, but they're some of the beers that we most enjoy drinking ourselves. And actually, 
possibly some of the hardest to produce. So I love Ryzen. It's my favourite style. Um, and I'm really proud of this, this Versa too. Has the recipe for Jai Per changed much over the years? Uh, no. It really hasn't. The only thing, the only thing we do slightly differently, we produce the, the, the brewery conditioned stuff, the keg and bottle, slightly differently from the way that we make the cask. Uh, so the keg and bottle, it's served at a colder temperature. Uh, so we, we dry hop it sort of a little bit more. And uh, the, the cask beer, we have a little bit of a lower OG because you haven't got that carbonation of the bottle to lift it. So it finishes a little bit drier. Uh, but all intents and purposes from 2005 to 2019, um, the only thing that's changed is we put about double the amount of hops in. Uh, that's honestly the... And, we, we, and we've never made more Jaipur than we do now. So. so we've got another beer going round now, and it kind of can be thought about. So this is part of the Barrel Room series, right? So if anybody doesn't know about barrel-aged beers or the, the, the actual barrel, barrel-aging uh, programme you have going on at the minute... Do you want to kind of talk a little bit about that and what that is and what they should expect from that? Uh, so th- uh, this beer, Necessary Evil, the CEO um, was basically winding the head brewer up saying that he'd never made a good, strong, dark beer. Uh, and so it sort of made Rob roll his shoulders a little bit. And we went away and had a little look around about what kind of beers that we really respected in the Imperial Stout style. Um, and Firestone Parabola, I think Matt's actually here at the festival from California. Uh, that was the one that r- we really liked. Um, so we ran it through the laboratory, sort of picked out what specs to sort of aim for. Um, and we tried a lot more from Ale Smith and various others. Um, but we wanted, it, we wanted a really big, we wanted, this is the, the strongest beer that we've ever done. Uh, so it was a massive brew. Did we double, double mash it? I can't remember. Yeah, we, we, we use a lot of malt anyway. <laughs> Uh, not so much roasted barley, more of the chocolate malt, so it's more chocolatey than burnt. Um, quite a low bitterness. Uh, and then we threw the kitchen sink at it to get it to ferment. It was a really big, long fermentation. A couple of sleepless nights, but it got there in the end, and we were happy with it. Uh, and then basically, um, with our friends from Siren, where Lucy sat over there, uh, we had a conversation about bringing in a, a shipment of bourbon barrels straight from Kentucky, uh, so we, we shared a, a container full of bourbon casks. Um, so these casks arrived sort of six weeks later after spending time in the boat. Uh, we emptied all the, all the bourbon out of them and drank it ourselves. Uh, and then f- filled them up with the barrels. It spent eight months in the barrels, absorbing flavours from the bourbon and from the wood. Uh, and then we were tasting it sort of every other day and such a hard life. Uh, <laughs> Um, then we, we, as soon as we knew it was ready, it was time to package. So we, we got ourselves some fancy amber 375s, packaged it with some dextrose and some champagne yeast. And we're, abs- we're really happy with it. It's a real... I, I hope we make it again soon. <laughs> so. How long was it in barrels for? It was eight months. Uh, we, were, we were planning on a year, but we knew it wasn't going to get any better. And there, there can be a tipping point sometimes where it can go sort of oxo cubey and a bit beefy, and we, d- we really didn't want that. So there's, there's lots of bad versions of this style of beer out there. So We've got another question. How strong is it? It's Very 13%. <laughs> I hope you're not driving. So it's nice to see it. <laughs> so how did the, um, the barrel room, the barrel aging sort of pr- uh, programme come about? Because this is not the first beer, is it? Or 
Uh, no, no, we've uh, been barrel aging since the brewery began. All right, okay. Um, we, d- we did some barrels with Garrett Oliver originally with the Alliance Barley Wine. Uh, we, we, we barrel aged from St. Petersburg b- before that. Uh, and it's always been something we've, the brewery's been interested in, and, and we've always wanted to do it properly, so we've been purging the barrels, we've got the right filling equipment, and we always wanted to make sure that we were doing a good job. So. Am I right in thinking if you go down to the um, brewery, that's where the, the tap room is now, is it? It is, yeah, the tap room is currently situated in the barrel room. Uh, we've got a Flemish Red program still in there at the moment, still ageing away. Uh, so that'll be packaged shortly, and then when we get a new site for the shop and bar, We'll be extending the program again. Is the tap room open this weekend? You know, sure is. So if anyone wants to get out of the mud, it's about 10, 10, 15 minute walk probably to the brewery. Twenty-five. Twenty-five. <laughs> it is not a very fast walker, is it? A <laughs> uh, cu- couple of things to add. I mean, first, I think I was asked the question at the start of the interview: Why did you work for Thornbridge? And uh, Dom's just described some of the research you did uh, on this Imperial Stout. So I'm waiting for my tickets to California. Um, <laughs> For, th- for that um, but, uh, but regarding barrel aging it's um, it's quite a fascinating process because um, one of the reasons why I'm so proud to work at Thornbridge is we pay so much attention to quality control and we're monitoring the product all the way through barrel aging you're at the hands of the barrel each one when you when you fill a barrel it's only 160 liters which is a fraction of what we uh, is it 160 liters in the barrel in- 225, not normal size barrels. Um, and each one is slightly different. So then you have to blend the batch at the end to get it how you want. And you, it's a bit of an art, really, compared to how precise all of our other processes are. Has anybody got any questions? Oh, we've got a few hands now. I'll come around you off. Sorry, I was just going to ask, um, you talked about, and you, you mentioned it then, that, that it's a bit of an art with the, the blending of kegs. Uh, sorry, barrels. Um, the and but you also talked about the laboratory and how yeah how's the balance between the science and the art like how does that play off like if you're you're using personal taste but also presumably analysis and and data to it, it helps make us make decisions so the laboratory would sort of often confirm what we've already tasted. And, and I must say that the barrel aging project is, is very much controlled by Rob, the, the head brewer. It's, very, it's his baby. Um, and we've worked together for a long time now, nine years, so I, I know what he's not going to like. He knows uh, my palate's been destroyed by chili sauces over the years, so not to trust it. Um, but yeah, so we, we'll often use the laboratory to back up sort of decisions that we want to make and just check that the pH is where we want it to be and the gravity and things like that and acidity. Another question? Yeah, um, so potentially a silly question, but obviously due to the high ABV, um, cask and wood have a massive effect on whiskey. Um, how much of an effect does it have on beer obviously due to the lower ABV? Uh, it really depends on the wood. Uh, a lot of American oak and French oak, you, you can use cedar and various different, and it also depends on how old the cask is. And I'd say that had a more... The variability of the cask that you actually get hold of can have a, a bigger decision than on the on the ABV. So that that's not actually a factor we consider. And I'll think about that next time. So. Thank you. All right. So we've had three beers. Then should we have a bit of a show. Well, should we have a bit of a cheer for beer of the session, shall we? So whose favourite was the uh, the Elio? <laughs> <laughs> Versa. 
Oh, a necessary evil. Yeah. There you go, lads. There's your answer. Fantastic. Just base all your next brewing stuff on just, just crowd cheer. Imperial stouts all the way. There you go. Any more questions? Um, I really like your Florida rice, but I was wondering how you make it sour. Like what you use. Good question. Um, we really wanted to get this right. Uh, there's a lot of sours that sort of smell of baby sick and various other nasty things. Uh, and that's basically due to... Yeah, just it's, it's poor brewing practice and, and not purging with CO2, and so oxygen gets in there and, and does weird things. Uh, so we, we, we produce a wort in the, in the normal manner. We boil it for 10 minutes. Uh, we send it through the heat exchange at about 37 to a specified fermenter that has a lactobacillus prop in that we brought from America. So a big um, liquid full of bugs, basically, uh, that we've already inoculated. So we've already given sort of 300 litres of wort in. So it's alive and it's desperate to sour things. And then we put this brew on top of that and it sours it over a week. Uh, and then on the Monday morning, at half five in the morning, we'll pump it back into the brew house, boil it properly to kill all the lactobacilli, uh, and then send it through the brew. So the heat exchange again to a f another fermenter that's nice and clean, and ferment it as normal. Uh, once you've done that, you add 200 kilos of few, uh, raspberry puree uh, into, the, into the beer. So it's a very messy prod. It just gets everywhere, and people don't really like it very much. <laughs> You'll never find me on that day. I'm always busy doing something else. Uh, and then you've, you've basically added some fructose there, some sugar that needs fermenting out. And a common craft brew mistake is not to ferment that sugar out and have exploding bottles and cans and foby beer so we then pitch in five million cells per mil of lager yeast and that ferments out the, the sugars and as soon as we're confident that that sugar is fermented out we will crash it to minus one uh, take a little bit of the crap off the bottom uh, and then we'll rouse the tank so there's plenty of puree still in the beer and then we'll package it it takes about four and a half weeks oh, wow. <laughs> uh, just to add as Rob's uh, Dom's just given you a whole recipe there for our, for our kettle sour <laughs> for those that for those of you that maybe don't have as much brewing background, um, when you ferment with yeast, there's very little lactic acid produced, but we use a uh, strain of bacteria rather than yeast, which ferments sugar into lactic acid, which is where all the sourness comes from in the beer. But we don't want that in the finished beer because that will ferment the sugars from the fruit and make it even more sour. So that's why we boil it and kill all of the bacteria so it doesn't go into the finished beer. Awesome. Has anybody not had a sour beer before, not tried Florida Vice before? A bit scared of sour beer, maybe, potentially? It's quite a good beer to start on, actually. If, you, if, you, if, you, if, you're, not, if you're not familiar with, you know, if you've not kind of had a lot of sour beers, it's quite a clean, tasty one. It's not got a lot of, some, a lot of um, fermented beers and stuff, quite odd flavor, funky flavors and stuff but that's quite I think that's quite a clean flavor yeah, I think it can it's be quite cidery and so if people yeah. like cider it can be an often good one to and you'll often find it says I hate your beer it's horrible but I quite like your sour beers <laughs> like, <go>. thanks <laughs> I think do we have a question over here is that right yep I really love the pineapple halcyon which I'm told you're not doing again why not because <laughs> just all the brewers despise it and just <laughs> It was pineapple is a weird fruit to play with. It's 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 messy. Um, it, the puree version doesn't actually give off an awful lot of flavour. So it's the same with rhubarb. We I remember making a rhubarb beer, and we must have used about six hundred kilos of rhubarb, which is even more than I can grow. And uh, it, very little flavour was imparted. So 
You don't want to put out a beer that it's called Pineapple House in for it not to taste of pineapples. Yeah, we really struggled with that and spent a lot of money on it. So, well, is the current current incarnation of pink grapefruit one is that here to stay, or think there might be new versions? We do four forty mil for uh, Tesco. Sorry, is that, is so. that no plans on um, moving on to a new a new fruit flavor. I think that one's the best one actually. I think grapefruit works the best. It compl- with the hop grapefruit. character, I think it works. Um, that's a beer that the brewers do actually enjoy. So, good stuff. The interesting thing with fruit is that so much of the flavor you perceive from it is from the sweetness. So when you add it into a beer, it gets fermented out and the flavor changes completely and you lose aroma. So we've tried fruit purees, concentrates, whole fruits, and it often is a mixture or a balance of all three at different points in the process to get the flavor we actually want. Um, so some just, just work better than others. There you go. We've got no more questions. Oh, we've got one more question. Apart from your own beers, what um, other breweries, what other beers do you like to drink? <laughs> Lost and grounded there. Brown nose. It's not very, it's an audio format, this for some people. But um, So, yeah, uh, Nick? Oh, my favourite beer in the world is, other than anything by Thornbridge, um, is uh, by a brewer in Germany called Weinheinstaffner. Easy for you to say. Weinstaffner. I got I got mocked heavily for not pronouncing it correctly on a staff do last year, so it's, that's the history of that. But I, I love that um, Bavarian Weizen style of beer. I actually really love um, big, strong Belgian beers as well. It's not really the weather for them today. You don't see much of them um, brewed by craft beers at, brewers over here. It's something that I'd really like to, to do more of, like big Belgian quads and triples. Uh, but the culture is so different over there in terms of drinking. You can't just session on it. <laughs> I'll, let Dom, I'll let Dom go now. You can session on it, but you're not going to have a very good time afterwards. Uh, on that staff do, Nick drank five pints of Vine Stefan and on the train home threw up all over the toilets and just totally ruined him. It was brilliant. <laughs> and we never let him live it down since. So. Can I guess what your beer is, your favourite beer is? Have a, have a pop. Landlord, Timothy Taylor. Yeah, that'll be correct. <laughs> if you follow Dom on uh, Twitter, he'll probably post uh, a weekly photo of uh, Landlord. Where is the best place to get a pint of Landlord in Bakewell? <laughs> uh, the Joiner's Arms had it on last week. I'm not sure if it's still... Is that the new little micro? Yeah, yes. it's a great little place. Right, well, if we give a bit of a round of applause for, for uh, Dom and Nick. Thank Thanks for coming, guys. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Cheers. Give me one from Cheers. the dog. Cheers, guys. <laughs>